Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Progress Texas Executive Director Kathleen Thompson. I'm Progress Texas Digital Director Sam Gonzalez. And I'm Progress Texas Podcasting Director and Producer Chris Mosier. The filing deadline for the 2024 election is just weeks away, December 11th. And here at Progress Texas, we encourage you to run for something. In far too many instances, Republican candidates and office holders run without any Democratic opposition at all. And we understand to a degree, considering how entrenched some Republicans are via gerrymandering, even more so coming off a recent new phase of redistricting. Yes, it takes guts to run, especially as a progressive in Texas. But the fact is, our state is full of perfectly qualified candidates who just haven't realized it yet. We've had more than one candidate ask the all-important question about deciding to run. If not now, when? Now is the time to step up if you see an opportunity to bring change to our state. Today, we're talking to two Democratic candidates who are doing exactly that, stepping up to challenge Republican U.S. Representative Beth Van Dyne of House District 24, which covers the northern mid-cities area of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. This is one of those districts recently redrawn to bolster its Republican incumbent. And for good reason, Beth Van Dyne won office on the slimmest of margins. Even against these odds, longtime North Texas progressive activist Francine Lee and Dallas ISD high school principal Sam Epler are rising to the challenge. Our hats are off to both of them, and we're happy for an opportunity for all of us to get to know them better, perhaps to be inspired ourselves to run. We'll start with Francine Lee. Congressional candidate Francine Lee, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. You are welcome. Great to have you. So for starters, let's get to know you personally. I know you and Kathleen have met before, but tell us briefly about your personal and professional background and experience. Professionally, I am a certified court manager. Uh, I work for the Dallas County uh, District Court, the 134th. I am the court coordinator there. Mm -hmm. Personally, uh, background-wise, I am a mom of four. Uh, I'm a first-generation Asian-American. I came here as a child refugee. English was the uh, first language that I learned to read, to write, and write in. I came here uh, in 79 when I was about nine, and um, I am a product of our public education system and proud of it. Very good. Right on. Excellent. Francine, given the odds in the District 24 race, it has been redrawn to favor Republicans. Why did you decide to run? You know, people have asked me that question and running for office was never, never, not even an <laughs> iota, not even. But in light of what has transpired the past few years, I find that if we do not stand up, if we do not bring ourselves, put ourselves forward to defend our constitution depend defend our own uh, way of life we put in jeopardy the future of our uh, children's um, well-being I came like I said I came here as a child refugee um, I am a product of my community um, I wouldn't want my kids to experience what I have experienced that's why they are uh, here in America uh, living the life to enjoy themselves go to school hang out with friends uh, be able to hang out at the mall and not be uh, fearful that they might not come back home to me. 
I fled all that, you know, dodging bullets, uh, avoiding landmines, you know, going through the uh, deep, thick jungle of Southeast Asia, uh, avoiding poisonous animals. I've lived through all that. And I never want any children, especially mine, yours mm. too, to ever go through that. Right. And, you know, we put faith in our elected official for them to do what's right, not just for themselves, not just for their political party, but for we the people. And I do believe that we need to start, we have to hold ourselves accountable to elect individuals that actually do care about we the people to preserve and protect and defend our democratic way, our democracy. It's very, very, very fragile as evidenced by the events that transpired on January 6th. And, you know, far too long, I I blame all of us. We sit back and we say, oh, someone's going to defend that. Someone's going to protect that. And when you look, start looking around, there's no one there. There's no one there. And if you want to be that person that defends those things that you want, what do you think the most pressing issue is for residents of District 24? And how do you solve it? There's a lot. There's a lot. But most pressing um, that is dear to me is, as a woman, um, our ability to make what's uh, medical decision, what's right for us and our family, has been taken away. Um, Mm -hmm. I have two daughters. And I find that they no longer have the rights that I enjoyed growing up as a child refugee. They are natural born American citizen, but yet they have less right than I did when I came to America. Um, Another thing I always tease my kids about is um, the pride I had in, in America. Growing up, everything I do, everything I see, everything I buy is made in America. They don't have that pride go pull a toy a fluffy from their stuffed animal stuffed animal from their bag hey even look at their bag the, the bag itself it's not made in america where's that pride you want that pride to come back we got to start bringing job bags to our shore very good and you you've kind of already answered this question but i'll go ahead and a- and ask it you know shifting from the the pressing issues uh, of the district Talk about the the bigger global issues that you would be weighing in on as a as a congressperson. Uh, what do you think the the most pressing issue facing the country at large, or even beyond that, you know, facing the world? You know, American policy is very key to, to global affairs. What's the what's the biggest thing that you think you might be asked to vote on as a House member? Climate issues. I just got off the phone with a friend. We were on there for about two hours, and we were just talking about our responsibility as an individual to ensure that uh, we preserve our planet. Her and I, we are doing everything we can, you know, recycle, uh, being responsible um, earthlings, while people we know that really don't care. Um, We were just talking about Vietnam, uh, how, you know, we used to, we live off the land, we ensure that uh, we have clean water, we ensure that, you know, there's proper irrigation, uh, trash and rubbish are placed in appropriate um, receptacle. But, you know, nowadays, people are um, cutting uh, corners, right? Uh, oh, who cares? You know, it don't affect me. But we got to thought, we got to start thinking, yeah, 
you know, it doesn't affect us now, but what are we leaving for our children, future generation? We got to start thinking about them. Quit being selfish. Yeah, most it's easy to be selfish. You know, mine, mine, mine. Who cares about the others? But as an elected official, you represent your entire community. It's no longer your interest that is at uh, that is before uh, everyone else's. You've got to make sure that you think about the entire uh, ecosystem and not not just this little small. Oh, okay, I'm good. You know, my house recycle. Forget everybody else. Or no, nah, who cares? They're recycling. I don't need to. You know, you, it's a community effort. Francine, um, just a couple moments ago, you talked about your kids being safe at the mall. And of course, we know that here in Texas, uh, Texas firearm fatalities have reached a near three decade high. And just north of us in Collin County was another mass shooting at a shopping mall. So I wonder if you talk to us about your gun safety policies and how you think Beth Van Dyne, who herself and her campaign has been touched by suicide, um, by a firearm, ha- has done with her time in Congress? You know, some people think that um, the best uh, offense is a good defense, meaning that, you know, oh, okay, they have a gun. Well, why don't we come up with two guns? All right, we got two guns. Oh, oh shoot, we're up against four guns. More guns doesn't make it better. Morgan just makes it Morgan. I always tell my kids that sometimes more isn't the best. More is just more. It's not always the solution. We have gun in this household. It's maintained in a safe uh, under lock and key. Mm-hmm. It's, um, the older kids has uh, access to it. They know what the code is. The younger kids do not. Uh, I have, my oldest is 22. My youngest is 11. Um, we do practice gun safety. It is under lock and key. And that is nothing wrong with that. Being a responsible adult gun-owning family is great. Um, you know, you got to educate your kids about gun safety. And I know that with the current uh, mental health crisis, you know, we just need to keep it away. Um, I just don't think that being able to buy guns off the street uh it's a good idea. You know, how hard is it to wait a few days? Heck, when you get married, you have to wait three days before right. you actually get married. So, you know, how hard is it to just just wait three days? Can you just wait a little bit uh, before you walk off with that uh, <clears throat> very, very deadly weapon? Because that's what that is. It's a deadly weapon, just like driving a car. We ensure that our kids, when they're behind the wheels, they have uh, extensive training before they, hours and hours, hours and hours before yes. they get behind that wheel so yes. you know that same concept can be applied uh on a gun to or for a gun in in this this environment where you know we can just have quick access so you know just slow down a bit let's think about it do we need 50 rifles I, again sometimes people just like more but more is not always better and you want to defend yourself. Okay, I'm sorry. When I was in Cambodia, you know, everybody, it was rule, and, and I don't think anybody had guns. The soldier did. You know, these are our are, are military-grade weapons. It belongs in the military. We're civilian. We have two, two branches, the civilian population and the military popula- population. 
they are there for to defend us so that we can enjoy the life that we have today. Without our military uh, veteran, the armed services, we wouldn't be enjoying this. We would be probably experience what I experienced growing when I was over in Cambodia. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if I answered your question the long you way. You did, and that's a, that's a unique personal perspective. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, whether um, you want to answer next per personally as well, or um, perhaps professionally, what about your personal or professional life do you believe has best prepared you for being a member of Congress? Um, I do have the experience. I was a former legislative uh, director for eight years, for over eight years. And uh, so I've, I've been through the process, um, writing bills and whatever, it, it, you know, it, it's not, it, you know, I'll, I'll pick it right back up. <laughs> <laughs> if something's so already done, we'll, we'll pick it right back up, right? It's like writing, what, is that, what they say, writing a, writing a bike, right? You know, you, once you become out of practice, once you hop out, oh, there it is. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, that, that is, I don't think, you know, my experience, I've, I've done that before. And it, it's, you know, it, it requires you working, uh, doing a lot of research, reading, talking to your fellow um committee member, fellow fellow congressperson, and just doing what's right and talking to your constituents. That's what's most important. People go into office to get who they work for. And that's the constituency. It's what's best for them. Again, it's not what's best for you. It's not what's best for Francine. It's what's best for our community. Exactly. And, and there's some people that think that Beth Fantine is best for their community for some reason. Um, so let's just say that you're in an elevator with a swing voter who's loosely planning to vote for Beth Van Dyne. So let's say you got 10 seconds to try to say, hey, maybe you should consider voting for me. I'll give you a chance to do the short version. I'll also let you give you a little bit more time to explain why people should vote for you instead of Beth Van Dyne. But yeah, in like two sentences or less, 10 second pitch, how would you get that person to vote for you? Because of my upbringing, I believe that I am the best candidate, more qualified um, to be able to ensure that there is diversity and inclusion uh, there beside your, you know, uh, beside being whoever you are, you got to think about other people, put yourself in their shoe, what's best uh, for the community, not me. Boom. And that's, that's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> that's that's why I'm. Yeah, 10 seconds. You got it. That was the good one. But, but I want to give you some more time as well to kind of expand upon that. You said my experience and caring about others and that diversity. I'll give you about a few more minutes to kind of expand upon that. So people always use the term, you know, you're, you're, you're a racist. You're a racist. Every time you do something, oh, that's racist. I was like, no, that's just a little bit different way of doing things. Uh, you don't know their background. You don't know their upbringing. Um, and you don't know what what they have gone through to come to this one decision. And in order to be able to come past that decision, to understand how that come that decision comes about, you got to make sure that you uh, learn about that person um, on a personal level. Again, um, let's just say, a student walk into an administrator's office and then like how something was ruled and start claiming everybody in the office uh, did this because they discriminated against me. Instead of um, hiding, you know, not answering the question, deflecting, 
you should sit down, talk to the students and well, why do you think that decision is racist? Um, here we have a pile of other application that are black, white, pink, purple, brown, yellow, that we will have to weigh in and make that same score. Why would you think that we would discriminate your one paper, your one grade against all these? So, you know, you need someone that's, that's that got to look at all that, you know, element and, and make sure that you able to come together and, and come to an understanding. Um, like what I do is a lot of people comes to me is when they're <laughs> disagreeing on stuff. Um, so what I do is like, okay, let's, let's, let's focus on what we can agree on first and then let's work back or work expand and see what else we can bring into this uh, little circle where we all can agree on. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to, because right now we don't have that. And that example, that <laughs> the other day, I thought the other, it was just yesterday. <laughs> it was just yesterday. Matt Gatz, uh, what, want to uh, remove the speaker? Why? Because he worked, he select, he's working to get things done for the community nationally, right? That right. Um, passing the, the budget bill for another 45 days so that, you know, our servicemen, our uh, uh, community are in need, the children, uh, those are on um, Social Security, Medicare, supplemental income. Don't go hungry. What mm -hmm. about that? Yep, yep, agreed. So, you know, this, uh, this district in particular, uh, there was a close call for Beth Bendine a couple of cycles back, and uh, since then redistricting has happened. The Republicans have made this a much taller order for a, a Democrat to win in this district just because of the way it's drawn. Uh, what do you see as the key to a Democrat being to able to upset the incumbent in this uh, heavily gerrymandered district? Um, people think I, I've looked at the the data on a precinct level, and it's not really that red of a district. Mm. It's just pure red because all the voters for one party is turning out at 80, 90%, and the other party is barely hitting 30. Um, so it looked red. It looked very red on paper. But if we go down and look at those uh, level, it, it's very plausible that we could do it we can win but you got to have the right candidate uh to go up against uh, beth van dyne in order to win and in order to win you got to reach out to all the uh, diverse group i know that uh demographically uh the demographics there are a lot of anglo in 24 um and the votes are in tarrant county and it is very red in tarrant county but we can't ignore Dallas County. We need all the voters in Dallas County to turn out and not sit on the sideline like they did in November of 2022. Um, I'm hoping that because it's a presidential election that everyone will come out because, you know, we depend on who the their nominee is. It might be a rematch. And again, I don't think our children has the psyche, has the mentality, has the mental capacity to have another um, four year of the previous administration. Um, it's a good learning lesson, but 
we, we can't have that. There's a lot of um, divisiveness that came out of that administration. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure our, our children can handle that type of discord, especially without the uh, mental support, the um, support system and support structure that a majority of them do not have access to. Like Kathleen and I, you know, we have we have a two family, uh, two parent family, mom and dad. You know, we we're there to support our kids. Most 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 family don't have that. It's it's a one parent uh, or even grandparent that has to to support the the children. Francine, to um, be our nominee in the general to run against Beth Van Dyne, who's really got to go, you have to win the primary. What is your plan, your position, your tactics, your strategy at the primary level as you're running against fellow Democrats? First of all, uh, I am the only Democratic candidate in this race that can pull this off, the only one with the experience. Uh, I'm a precinct chair, serve on the STEC. I'm the chair of the North Texas Asian Pacific Islander Public Affairs Association. I was the uh, treasurer of the Keratin Youth Football League. Um, I've served on many, many capacity, many, many roles, uh, and I am out there in the community. A majority of them all knows me, and they have indicated that they will be voting for me. Um, campaigning is expensive. I've only asked for votes. I've hardly asked for money. Um, but after the primary, that's when I'm going to start asking for uh, money because I can't win without money. She has over a million dollars in her coffer. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a working mom. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of money. Same. Right. Same. And, and let's, and let's, yeah, I think, I think we're all kind of broke. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Probably the worst way to put that. But anyway, but let's say you win the Democratic primary, but you don't manage to win the race in the House. Would you be willing to run again using the experience you'll gain from this race or um, maybe even try a different office, maybe higher up? Uh, if, uh, if I don't win, um, I will definitely uh, make sure that we get somebody in place that will be able to defeat Beth Van Dyne. Um, there is nobody that stepped up. That's why I stepped up, just like I did in Senate District 12. Um, but now that, you know, the filing period hasn't ended yet. And I know that That's it doesn't right. end until December 11th. And right. who knows how many other uh, Democratic uh, candidate will step into this, this seat. Um, Ari got one that jumped over from 32. Uh, rumor has it there may be a few more because uh, 32 is getting very crowded. Yes, um, it is. For those great Democratic candidates, I, as an SDEC member, as a precinct chair, all we do, we encourage people to run. Um, so, you know, I don't fault them for wanting to run in 32 because it is a D seat. Whoever wins it will definitely win. But you got to think about it. There are 38 congressional district seats. Residency is not a requirement. I myself have been in my district for over 20 years. The other hasn't. I have. Okay. This is my district. This is the only district I plan to run in. Um, but if they are just jumping in, because I know most of them don't even live in that district, why not run in the other where we need good Democratic candidates to go up against these incumbents? We can't turn out voters, our voters, if we have no one to vote for. Right. Right. Makes sense.
I will be, I will continue to ensure that there is a, a, a contest. <laughs> All right. Very at good. least, at least a contest. That's great. At That's least. great. Congressional candidate Francine Lee. She's running for the U.S. House to represent Texas House District 24. Francine, it's great to meet you and best of luck out on the campaign trail. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Absolutely. The holidays are just around the corner, and so are our Progress Texas holiday parties. Yes, parties, plural. We've expanded our footprint since last year, with personnel now stationed in both Austin and Dallas. So we're celebrating in both of those cities. This is a great chance to gather with like-minded progressives, meet candidates, officeholders, and activists, grab a beverage, share stories, and celebrate progress in Texas, which doesn't happen without you. Our Austin holiday party happens on Friday, December 1st, and our Dallas holiday party is on Wednesday, December 6th. Join us for either or both if you can. Details soon at progresstexas.org. Congressional candidate Sam Epler, welcome to the happy hour, sir. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Absolutely. Uh, let's start off with uh, just a little get to know you session so we can get to know who you are personally. Tell us briefly about your personal and professional background and experience. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. So my name is Sam Epler. I'm running for Congressional District 24 right here in DFW. Uh, I wasn't born in Texas. Uh, my dad grew up on a small farm in Perry, Oklahoma. Uh, went to Oklahoma State, was a cowboy, and then moved out to uh, Portland, Oregon to join the Forest Service. Uh, I was uh, raised on the West Coast and uh, actually went to college on the East Coast. And then after college, I moved down to Dallas with Teach for America, where I taught high school math in West Dallas. I taught in English and in Spanish, and I taught Algebra 1. Um, and if you know anything about public education, Algebra 1 is the last star test you have to take for mathematics. Um, so it's a pretty big test. Um, and so in that role, I always say teaching is the best job and the hardest job I'll ever have. Um, I was fortunate enough to be selected to be an assistant principal in Dallas ISD. Um, and then I became a principal in Dallas ISD, which uh, I currently serve um, as a principal of uh, North Lake Early College High School, um, which is a, an exceptional high school in Dallas ISD. Uh, that's my day job. And then after school hours, uh, I'm running for Congress. Uh, so that's a little bit about my professional and personal background, uh, my ties to Texas. Um, and I, I really chose to move down to Dallas because I thought, hey, Texas is where it's happening. Um, all things in this century go through Texas. Um, and I wanted to use my Spanish uh, and I also wanted to see my grandparents who live in Fort Worth. Sam, given the log on odds in District 24, why did you decide to run? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that question because that's a question I get asked a lot. Um, and I'll answer it uh, two ways. First is, I don't think the odds are so long. Um, this district, yes, in 2016, voted for Trump by 25 points. Um, but if you overlay the district in 2020 and look at that presidential, uh, it only voted for Trump by about 12 points. Um, and so that kind of swing um, that we're seeing in the fastest growing part of our state um, really makes me think that this is a sleeper race. Um, and I think people are going to get interested into this district um, as we move towards the general. Um, and I'm running the best race that I can um, focusing on uh, my opponent, and that's Beth Van Dyne. Uh, I decided to run for this race because I looked up her voting record. I mean, to be, to be completely honest, I'm not running against a Republican. I'm running against an extremist. Um, just recently, she voted to shut down the government. Um, we always like to talk in DFW about Colin Allred's win against Pete Sessions. 
Pete Sessions voted uh, to keep the government open and send paychecks to our TSA agents, to our 1.3 million active duty military families. I mean, Beth Van Dyne is an extremist. Her first vote in Congress, you know, it's not surprising, was objecting to the Pennsylvania electors uh, in the 2020 election. Um, she's not there to govern. She's not there to talk policy. Um, she's there to get on Newsmax um, and make noise on, on X, on Twitter. Um, and so I'm running because I want to highlight the, the stark contrasts between somebody who wants to make real change, who wants to figure out how we can make our communities stronger, more vibrant, how we can make our roads better, how we can make our high schools produce more uh, students that are career ready, uh, ready to tackle the challenges of the 21st century here in Texas. Um, and uh, I'm running because I think that uh, we need to pass the torch to the next generation. Um, I know that 48% of the electorate is now a millennial or a Gen Z voter, um, and that is only climbing with each day. Uh, so I said, hey, I'll, I'll toss my hat into the ring. Um, I like what Colin Allred's doing, challenging our extremist senator. And I thought, instead of complaining about your representative, uh, why not run against her? That's awesome. And you list off a bunch of things that the district needs, but what do you think is the most pressing issue for residents of District 24? And how do you solve that issue? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's the most pressing issue um, is what she's not doing. And she's not looking out for your family. Um, because ultimately, there's more than 800,000 people that live in District 24. And she's going to Washington with the sole purpose of playing games. Um, she's going, and I mentioned the shutdown, um, but I also want to highlight that she's going to Washington and she's voting no against um, you know, bipartisan legislation like the, uh, the uh, uh, Safer Communities Act. Right. Which is, you know, the only uh, meaningful gun safety legislation that's been passed in the last you know, three decades. She's going to Washington and she's voting no against chips in manufacturing. She's going to Washington. She's voting against jobs in our district. She's voting against uh, infrastructure investments at our airport. And I don't know about you, but I think that we could upgrade, you know, Terminal C. Uh, at DFW. Like, I'd be okay with that. She's voting no against it. So really, I, I just want to highlight the fact that I would be going to Washington and looking out for our neighbors. Um, I live in the district. Um, I want to see this place thrive and be prosperous in the next decade. Um, and so she's not doing that. And so we're going to highlight that. Um, and that's that's really the biggest issue for me is uh, is showing that she's not looking out for the average family um, and the average resident of District 24. Kind of on a similar note, Sam, uh, if you end up in the House of Representatives, you're going to be voting on, you know, uh, items of global importance, you know, as part of American policy. What do you see on that level as far as like the national level or even the worldwide level? What's the most pressing thing that uh, that you would be possibly asked to vote on in the House? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to talk about immigration. I think globally, immigration is a huge issue right now. I think both sides need to be talking about it. I think, um, you know, we need to come out and say bipartisanly that we have to um, do better at our southern border. We have to have increased resources sent to our southern border. Um, we need more people working our immigration courts. We need to fund our Border Patrol agents. Beth Van Dyne signed a letter saying she was going to defund the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, like, let's just let's just pause for a second. Right. She voted to defund the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and then she'll say that she wants to support Border Patrol agents, but she's voting to take away their paychecks. She's voting to abolish their jobs. So I don't know how she's the person 
who's who's trying to strengthen our national security and improve, you know, our border security and help economic asylum seekers while countering, you know, fentanyl and human trafficking if she's trying to abolish uh, the federal agency that's tasked with doing that. Um, and I think from a from a policy perspective, we need to engage our Latin American partners. Um, I think it's uh, it's crazy that we spend so much of our um, you know, our economic capital as as America, 6000 miles across the Pacific, when we know what that's done to our supply chain. Uh, we don't have to look too far back in history to, to know what it was like to go to the grocery store and not being able to buy, you know, common common goods because they were tied up on a container ship trying to get into three ports, Los Angeles, Galveston or Norfolk. Right. So uh, I think we should you know, channel our economic might that we have and say, hey, let's start uh, investing or incentivizing those companies that are currently doing business in China, which is a which is a country that points missiles at Taiwan, our ally, and then persecutes and really commits genocide against religious minorities in the Western steppe um, and and say, hey, you know, we need to incentivize our companies to do business in Latin America because that'll improve our strategic supply chain, uh, but it would also uh, you know, employ uh, Latin Americans, and they would be less likely to walk 1,100 miles to our southern border. And it was explained to me best by a 15-year-old five years ago in a math classroom. He said, the only reason my family walked 1,100 miles was because we didn't have a roof over our head and my parents didn't have jobs. Right. And I want to start talking about real issues and real solutions. Um, and Beth Van Dyne is calling everyone coming across our border a terrorist. Right. She said millions of she tweeted this this week. Millions of terrorists are coming across our border. Well, I am completely uh, against uh, human trafficking and I want to crack down on fentanyl. I mean, I, nobody sees it more than I do in, in schools. Right. It's, it's very scary, you know, searching backpacks and seeing, you know, drugs and trying to educate our our students on why um, they, they shouldn't be taking you know, pills that they that they don't know where they came from. And, and it's, it's a very serious issue. Um, but again, right. We need to start talking about long term solutions for our immigration problem um, and not just calling everyone a terrorist and then voting to defund our Department of Homeland Security. It just it just doesn't make sense. Um, and so I, I'm trying to restore common sense and, and being an adult to our foreign policy um, and to our domestic and neighboring countries uh, when it comes to immigration. Sam, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better um, personally and professionally, but I wanted to follow up on an issue that you just mentioned. Both you and your Democratic primary opponent have met uh, my kids and um, have known me in Democratic politics uh, up here in North Texas. And you mentioned um, gun safety and um, anybody who's paying attention knows that Texas firearm fatalities um, are near a three-decade high, and well more than half of gun deaths in Texas are by suicide. And I would think that Beth Van Dyne would care about gun safety um, more because she had a staffer who, who died by suicide. Um, can you talk to us about... Um, what you want to do as one member of hundreds of members of Congress to make tex Texas a safer place to um, live and to work and to bring up our families. Yeah, thank you, Kathleen. Uh, again, common sense. I want to do common sense um, reform to make this place safer for all of us. Um, you mentioned your children. 
um, and wanting them to live in a better world tomorrow than it was yesterday. Um, and when it comes to gun violence and gun safety, the majority of Americans support common sense gun reform. That's just that's just the bottom line. I love showing a Fox News poll that says that the majority of Americans support, uh, you know, uh, uh, red flag laws. Uh, raising the age, having mandatory waiting periods, uh, closing these, you know, gun show loopholes. I mean, th th these are things that, that the majority of North Texans in this district want to see happen. And we have a representative that's stonewalling that. And so what I would do is I would add my vote to common sense. Um, and I would try to make this place a little bit safer for all of us, because let's be honest, that's not infringing on the Second Amendment. I mean, it's just not. I know I'm going to get attacked and someone's going to say, oh, I, he doesn't support the Second Amendment. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. What I'm saying is I'm asking the common sense question that during your lunch break, should you be able to go buy an assault rifle, an AR-15, basically arm yourself like you could deploy to Ukraine and fight the Russians? Should you be able to do that quicker than you order a Whataburger? Because right now, you know, it takes longer in a drive through than it does at Cabela's to purchase that weapon. Right. And, and to me, I think there's a common sense answer to that. And I think the second common sense question I would ask is, you know, should you be worried about prom dress shopping at a local mall? Should you be worried about being gunned down? And right now the answer is, yeah, you're worried. I mean, ask that to any resident that shops at the Allen, uh, the Allen Mall. Um, and, and it's just it's too much. And it's and it's 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 just awful. And we need to do something about it. And just saying no and saying, oh, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. You know, that's that's not the right. That's not the right answer. The right answer is progress. And I would be voting for progress. I know this is called Progress Texas. Uh, I want to see our country. I want to see our community. I want to see our great nation get better and better each day. Thanks, Sam. So tell us about a little bit more about you personally. What about you personally and professionally makes you think that you're going to be a great rep for District 24? Yeah, I, uh, I think my lens, I, I got into education because I believe that fundamentally um, it's the only education's the only way in this country to achieve the American dream. Um, I've seen that firsthand. You know, my mom is a non-traditional first generation college student. She went to college when she was 23. Um, and, you know, from that, she was able to achieve the American dream and, um, you know, bless my siblings and I with with wonderful opportunities in life. Um, and I chose very specifically to teach in uh, an area that was a zip code that was traditionally left behind. Um, and I think that, you know, my lens that every zip code in this country should be a zip code that has a great school with great chemistry, English, math, science, history teachers, and no vacancies, by the way. I think that every part of our country should be able to deliver um, a world-class upbringing and a world-class education and future for every American citizen. Um, and so that lens is how I approach all these issues. That's the lens that I would be taking with me to Washington. And quite frankly, I think we need more educators in Congress. Um, I think we need more uh, young people in Congress. Um, and if, if you know, the, the voters of District 24 would do me the honor, um, I would want to represent them for the next two years and cast bills um, with that lens of positivity, of progress, and making sure that everybody has an equal shot uh, at, at achieving the American dream. Excellent. And I have a little bit of a challenge for you on this one. Mm -hmm. This one's going to be a little bit of a, it's not a game, but it's going to be a situation <laughs> you're probably going to find yourself in in the next few months as you, or, yeah, next few months as you run and meet some of your constituents. 
you're in an elevator with a swing voter who's loosely planning to vote for Beth Van Dyne. Maybe has the pin, maybe just off comment. Yeah, she has an R next to her name. I yep. like that. I'm Republican. Talk this voter into voting for you instead with your strengths. Uh, I'm going to do an, a real elevator pitch. I'm going to give you a 10-second counter. But then I want to give you a little <laughs> bit more time and give you a three-minute answer to why we should vote for you instead of just going with the R. If you will. Yeah. All right. Do I get 10 seconds? 10 seconds. Go. <laughs> All right. You know what she gives, and that's a vote no on everything. I got some cool ideas and cool policies. And if you don't like them, vote me out in two years. Boom. Yeah. Boom. I think, I, like that was, I think that was nine. I think that was I nine like seconds. Nine seconds. Right. But now you have three minutes to really let them know. They say, I'm interested. I want to hear about these cool things. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. And, and I love that question because that's how we're going to win the race. Uh, I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that this is a Republican-leaning district. Um, but there are a lot of people in the middle that don't want to vote for somebody that's just an extremist no vote on everything, right? I believe fundamentally that the suburbs of DFW and the Park Cities and North Dallas and Lake Highlands uh, and Carrollton and half of Richardson, I don't think they wanna be represented by Lauren Boebert. Um, and so what I'm offering uh, is, is, is an alternative some really cool ideas. You know, I, I think, and this is, this is really one of the reasons I ran for Congress. I'll tell you, I was doing my taxes and I got to the section that says, hey, are you an educator? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, well, you're, you're, you qualify for $250 of a refund. And I said, oh, wow, what, what do I get that for? And it says for school supplies. And I said, wow. And this was my first year teaching. I said, wow. Uh, that doesn't cover nearly how much money I spent on my students this year. And then I got to be an administrator and I thought, man, this is pretty offensive because I know the collective sum that we all spend and all of our teachers spend on our students and our schools is way more than $250. And we're so low paid compared to the amount of education and credentialing and the responsibility of the job. I thought, man, $250, that's not enough. And then I saw the state legislature in Texas do nothing to help the almost 400,000 teachers that we have in our state. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could just write one sentence of policy in Washington and then just copy paste the tax credit that we give electric vehicles and Teslas, $7,500? Why don't we replace that with the current $250 school supply tax? And what we would be doing is giving the single largest investment in American education, directly to our teachers, to the 4 million teachers in America, the 400,000 in Texas. And oh, by the way, I don't think we'd have any more chemistry vacancies uh, across District 24 if we would be giving a $10,000 raise for all teachers. That's number one. I don't wanna stop with just teachers. I also wanna give it to police officers. And here's why. I think that teachers and police officers should be able to afford to live in the communities that they serve. If we really want to talk about community policing, we need to make it affordable for, for police officers to live where they work, to really get to know the community, right? Just like teachers, I know lots of teachers that, that commute two hours to get to work, right? Because they can't afford to live next to their school. Um, and if that's the case with two of our like most important first responders, frontline workers, teachers and police officers, I mean, 
we have a problem in this country. There's some really simple things that we can do, like pass a tax cut federally for these officers and for these teachers. Um, and I think it would do a lot of good um, to fill these vacancies uh, that we have in police departments and classrooms all across this district. And the reason why I'm pitching that to a voter uh, like the one you just described, Sam, in the elevator is because everybody lives in a community with police officers and teachers. And what I'm asking you is two years to give me a chance to help make it so that you'll have higher quality candidates serving in your police department and teaching in your classrooms. And if you're against that, then so be it, peace. But that's that's you know that's kind of the, the candidate and the person that I want to be in Washington and what what I would fight for. So yeah, we're we're, we're loving all the stuff you're saying, Sam. Uh, but the the facts on the ground are this is you're running in a district that has been drawn specifically for you to not be able to win this district with a D in front of your name. That is just the cold, hard facts of the matter. Yeah. So it's going to be a really tough race. What do you see as the key to a democratic upset in this gerrymandered, heavily Republican leaning district? Well, I think there's a couple keys. I think first you need a, you need a message. You need a candidate that um, is focused on getting to work and has a pitch like Sam just asked me to do that appeals to to the to, to independence and and, mod, and 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 you know middle of the road voters that feel kind of disenfranchised um, by their options right now um, and I think second uh, it's exactly what Colin Allred's saying because you could ask that same you could ask that same question to Colin running statewide um, and and the answer here is the answer there there was 9.5 million registered voters in Texas that did not vote in 2022 right um, if everybody voted I think I'd win. Um, and so what we need to do is invest all the resources that we assemble in getting out the vote in a ground game um, and really going out there and knocking on every single door. Um, because I like talking to people. I like getting in front of them and spreading my message and what I'm trying to do. Um, and I know that if I got in front of every single voter in this district, we'd win by a mile. Right. And so I am so laser focused on uh, spending our resources on field and really getting out um, the vote. And uh, let me just give you just some some uh, some background knowledge on this. You know, I spoke with Candace Valenzuela and she ran in 2020 um, in, a, right. in a little bit different district when it wasn't gerrymandered. Right. But she said, you know, she would have won that race. But the the D trip, you know, they said they, that she couldn't walk and knock on doors um, because of covid. And so she raised a lot of money, but that money was not spent on going out uh, to voters, right? And, and, and Candace couldn't do anything about it, right? I mean, that was the policy at the time. Um, and so, you know, I told her, I said, well, every dollar I raise is gonna go and do exactly that. Um, because I, I, I believe that we need to learn from history. Uh, and I'm a student of history and don't, don't uh, like re repeat the same mistakes of the past. Uh, I'm not raising money and spending it on, you know, fancy ads and all this other stuff. I am going to spend the money on breakfasts and lunches and bottles of water and, and, and our volunteers that go knock door to door because that's how we really get out the vote and that's how we win. I would also say that's how Colin Allred is going to win because this is one of the most important congressional races for Colin um, because there's just so many voters here. Um, and this is the fastest growing part of the state. Um, there's, I think, way more than 800,000 people that live here now. Um, and the votes are not going to come from the Red River. The votes are going to come from East or West Texas. The votes are going to come from the metropolitan areas. Uh, and I love saying that DFW is about to be the third largest metropolitan area in America. Um, we're about to overtake Chicago here pretty soon. So um, that's my answer to that. 
um, just a, a pure laser focus on a ground game and spending your resources really diligently um, and responsibly on exactly that. Right on. So I think um, our listeners, if they don't live in at North Texas, have an idea now about how to add Beth Van Dyne is for the district, for Texas, for the country. Um, she votes against our interests. She votes against um, really awesome bipartisan projects and then campaigns on them and um, touts them as if she had supported them. And sh she's um, dishonest. Uh, hypocritical. Gonna, she's hypocritical. You're going to um, run against her in November um, by winning the primary. Mm -hmm. You have a um, qualified primary uh, challenger. How uh, are you two going challengers. To... There's two challengers in the program. Okay. You have uh, qualified primary challengers. What are your positions or tactics going to be at the primary level that you're going to come out of the primary as the winner and the Democratic nominee? Yeah, just, just putting in the work and meeting people. Uh, I always like saying I hate the part where I raise money on the phone. Um, I, you know, getting into this as a 20-something-year-old uh, member of Gen Z, I, I thought, hey, I have all these policy ideas. But, you know, it's really Congress. How much money can you raise? I think that's wrong. Right. I think we need to do something about that. I also think we need term limits. And so that's another policy thing that I would love to push. But but in reality, the best part of this is going out and meeting uh, potential voters, going out and meeting precinct chairs that uh, that that do the real work. They go out there into their neighborhood and make sure people show up and vote on Election Day, um, because that is you know an, a, an American privilege that we have um, in this country. And I like telling all the precinct chairs I meet, first thing I say is thank you, because shiny candidates come and go, right? But the work that they do for democracy and getting out the vote, that's what truly matters. And so I'm trying to meet every single precinct chair in this district. I'm trying to meet every single uh, voter, Democratic voter this primary, and I want to get in front of them. My favorite thing is going to your living room. You know, people, they ask me, they say, hey, Sam, I I'm sorry, you know, I'd love to host you, but, you know, we really we can't host a big fundraiser for you. And I say, that's great. Zero dollar attendance. Right. I don't I don't care about the fundraiser. Just let me into your living room and let me have 20 minutes to speak to your neighbors and friends. And they say, really? Like, I thought I had to do a fun. No, I want to come into your living room and just talk about what's possible and what we can do together and the future. That's all this is. Um, and that's how I'm going to win the primary, because that's what I'm going to do. Um, have a conversation with every voter about what I think the future could be if we just work together on a common change for the better. And let's say you win the Democratic primary, but don't manage to win the race overall in the House. Would you be willing to run again and using the experience that you've gained in this race towards an even more competitive race next time or maybe even a different position or different role? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think being a politician is a career. Um, I, I mentioned I mentioned term limits, but uh, I really believe in that. Right. I don't think you should serve more than five terms in the House or a few terms as senator. Um, and we have examples on both parties uh, as to why that shouldn't be the case. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to commit to run again because, first of all, I'm going to run as hard as I possibly can the next 14 months. And, and I think we can win. Um, but but look, I, I don't I really don't think that I'll ever be a, a career politician. I just, I've never looked up to that and been like, hey, that's what I wanna do. Um, because I think that what makes this country great, and especially in the House of Representatives, we should have all people from all walks of life, from all professions, um, from all age groups, going to Washington with ideas, working together to again, 
like this uh, title of the show, make progress to make our state, to make our, uh, our country better. Um, and so I'm going to run as hard as I can for the next 14 months. Um, and my fingers are crossed that we'll win. Uh, but uh, you can ask me that on, on November, what is it, 7th or something like that, uh, 2024. Yeah, the day after. Very, very good. Congressional candidate Sam Epler running for the U.S. House to represent Texas House District 24. It's great to meet you and good luck out on the trail. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all. Thanks again and best of luck to Francine Lee and Sam Epler, Democratic candidates to replace MAGA darling Beth Van Dyne in the U.S. House. Again, we hope you will be inspired to run for office by their dedication and guts. If you're enjoying our podcasts here at Progress Texas, help us continue our work with a donation. Hit the donate button at the top of the page at progresstexas.org. Misinformation here is funded by West Texas extremist billionaires, but we're people power. Thanks for listening and sharing this pod. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you're opinionated like me, leave us a review. Y'all take care. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.